Hello Real Life Church, it's good to see you again. Uh, I wish I could be there in person. Um, our connection with you um, is so valuable to us and the work we are doing here where we live. But I'm happy we can at least connect together in this way. And we're looking at the story which was read earlier from Mark chapter 4 and then verse 35 and into the next chapter. And this is quite a dramatic development so everything else we've looked at before this in the chapter has been Jesus' teaching about seeds and plants and growth and then the lamp shining like a light. And then Jesus says to his disciples, uh, let's get in the boat and let's go across the lake. Um, and I want to ask uh, a few questions to help us understand what's going on. That's how we're going to approach uh, these stories. Um, the first question is simply this. Why did this happen? The disciples are, are with Jesus. They're in the boat with him. And suddenly this dramatic storm, uh, this squall uh, blows up, strong winds, water flooding into the boat. The disciples, some of them were used to being in boats. They're used to being in Galilee on the lake. They're scared. They're scared for their lives. But they're with Jesus. Why does this happen? This is a terrifying thing for them. It's a terrifying story. Now, of course, we know that in a, a few moments' time, Jesus will speak and everything will go quiet. But it's important not to miss the drama, the danger, everything that is happening. <clears throat> Storms happen in our lives. Things go wrong. Storms happen in the world, obviously literal storms, but also then circumstances uh, around us going wrong. Even though the disciples are with Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be affected by bad things and by difficulties and hardship. It's not long before this story that Jesus had called the disciples to follow him to leave everything and follow him. They've seen some amazing things happen. They've seen Jesus heal people, open blind eyes, do amazing miracles. They've heard his amazing teaching. But that doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. Following Jesus is hard. They were following Jesus into the boat and Jesus took them into the storm where they were in danger of their lives. They were thinking that they were going to drown. They actually say that to Jesus. Don't you care? Aren't you worried that we might drown? One of the things which is happening in this story is that we are seeing that although the disciples are with Jesus, some of the events that happen, the difficulties, the challenges, will not stop. And it's true in our lives. Following Jesus does not protect us from difficulty and hardship and from what is happening around us. It's also important to understand that commentators think that the words that are used for this storm suggest some kind of power behind them, like an evil power. It wasn't an ordinary storm. And of course, that's the theme in this story, because when they get to the other side, Jesus is going to free a man from many demons oppressing him. 
And so one of the themes in this story is that, yes, there are evil powers working. They are behind this storm. And then Jesus is going to confront a man who is being tormented by many demons. And yet we see Jesus's authority and power over them. As we read the stories in the Bible, we need to understand the different characters that there are. There are people and then there is God working, but also there are evil spirits behind the scenes. We can't see them working. We don't need to be fearful of them. We don't need to be scared of them, because as we see in this story, Jesus is more powerful than them. But they are real and they are working. So why does this terrible storm happen? Because we are living in a world that... Jesus is changing and he is ruling over and he has authority over. But until he comes again, there are evil powers working in this world. There is a God who rules over all of them with Jesus alongside him. But those powers are still working. And following Jesus doesn't mean we're protected from everything. Bad things, difficulties can still happen. Every one of you listening to this knows that difficulties and hardships still affect us. Maybe some of you are experiencing those right now, are in the middle of those right now. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean God has left you. It doesn't mean you are alone. The disciples were in the boat with Jesus. An amazing miracle is about to happen, but first they are worried, terrified, anxious for their lives. But they're still with Jesus. Even though we go through difficulties, challenges, even though we wonder where God is sometimes, it does not mean he has left us. We can be walking closely with God, travelling with him like the disciples in the boat and still experience difficulty and hardship. Read on in the story. I have a, another question. So the disciples wake Jesus. They say, aren't you worried? Aren't you concerned that we might drown? Look at this storm. Jesus stands up and says, be quiet to the wind, the waves, and everything is suddenly quiet. And then in verse 40, he rebukes them. He says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Don't you have any faith? And my question here is another why question. Why is Jesus rebuking them? If they are in fear of their lives, if water is coming in, if this storm is something which is seemingly supernatural more than a normal storm and these are fishermen some of them and they are frightened for their lives why does Jesus say why were you afraid Where, where's your faith well what we need to remember is earlier uh, in their times with Jesus they have seen the power of Jesus they have seen his authority they have seen his miracles they have seen him speak to blind eyes and they're open they have seen that Jesus isn't simply a teacher. He's more than a rabbi. The power of God is with him. And things happen when he speaks. So Jesus is saying, where is your faith? You've seen me do amazing things and yet you're still scared. And in terms of Jesus speaking, he said to them, let's go to the other side. And if Jesus says we're going to go to the other side... There's only one thing which is going to happen. 
you're going to the other side. Even though storms come, even though waves, water is coming into the boat, even though the boat is being thrown around, if Jesus says we're going to go to the other side, then that's what's going to happen. You're going to the other side. That's why Jesus is rebuking them. He wants to challenge them and say, come on, where is your faith? Yes, you're scared. Yes, you're terrified. But there's something else there. Don't you know who is with you? Haven't you seen my words change sickness to healing? Haven't you seen me work with power? You've heard me speak and things change. And I've said we're going to the other side. Come on, disciples, you're following me. Do you know who I am? Do you know the power that I'm working with and the authority that I have? Don't just listen to your fear. Don't just listen to your emotions, but remember me. Listen to my words, the things I have said, because they will happen. That's why Jesus is challenging them. He wants to use this incident to get them to understand what's really going on and to listen to faith more than fear, to listen to the things that Jesus says more than the circumstances around them. He is deepening their discipleship, their understanding of him, helping them go deeper in following him and understanding who he is. That's why he rebukes them. Fear, confusion when things are difficult, anxiety about what's happening tomorrow or happening in the future with your job, all the instability that's happening in the world at the moment, crisis after crisis, of course we, can be, we will be anxious. Of course we will be fearful. But Jesus wants our faith to be strong, our belief in him and his power and who he is to be the rock, if you like, that we stand on. The boat we're in may feel like it's going to sink, may feel like we're going to be overwhelmed with difficulties and everything that is happening around us. But Jesus wants us to remember, he is with us. The one who is ruling and reigning over the nations. The one who was there at the beginning, created the clouds that are now causing the storm, created the water that is now pouring into the boat. The one who was there at the beginning is with us us. Fear, anxiety, worry, of course. But don't let them win. Don't let them be the things that you listen to more than the words of Jesus and his presence with you. Next thing that we can look at in verse 41, after Jesus rebukes them, the disciples are still afraid. The storm is finished. I mean, it must have been amazing. One moment there is wind and noise. The, the sows are billowing. Maybe they've taken them down at that point to try and protect the boat. Water is gushing in. I don't know if they're shouting to one another. Can they hear what is happening? And this huge storm, water, lashing rain, the waves, the wind, everything that's happening. And Jesus says, be still. And suddenly it's peaceful. It's quiet. There is hush. The wind has finished. The lake is still. The boat is no longer being thrown in a moment. And the disciples' fear changes from fear of the storm to fear of Jesus. Who is this man? 
Who is he? Who has such power? Who has such authority? Who speaks and the wind and the storm listens to him and the lake is quiet? It's amazing enough that he speaks and blind eyes are open and sicknesses leave people. This is amazing. But then to be in a boat which is about to sink and just to speak and nature listens. Nature obeys. Suddenly in a moment they go from fear of death to knowing there is life. From the the storm and the water lashing around them, causing them to think they're going to lose their lives, to suddenly peace and feeling secure. They're afraid, not of the storm now, but of this person. Who is he? Is he really just a man? Is he really just the carpenter from Nazareth? Who has authority over the wind and the rain? And if he has this much power, then why is he in the boat with us? Why is he spending time with us? If this man has this amount of power and authority, why is he not in a palace? Why is he not some kind of king sitting on a throne using this power? Why is he with us? Why is he spending time with a tax collector and a fisherman? Why is he called us to be with him? What's this man who speaks to nature and nature listens? What's he doing in a boat with us? You see, they would have understood that the only power that can quiet the storm, that can still the waters is the power of God. In Psalm 107, verse 29, it says this, He, talking about God, stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. That's exactly what's happening on Galilee with the disciples. But instead of it being God in heaven, speaking and stilling the storm to a whisper, the waves being hushed, This man, Jesus, this rabbi, this carpenter from Nazareth, he's standing in the boat and he is stilling the storm to a whisper, the waves of the sea to a hush. Jesus must be God. Only God can do this. And there's other verses like that in the scriptures. Um, Other verses in the Psalms that talk about the power of God over the ocean. And of course, we know Those stories in the Old Testament where God parts the sea with his power. So it's only God who is power over nature. And now Jesus has this power and authority over nature because he is God. He is fully God and fully man. And the disciples are suddenly fearful of him, beginning to understand something of who Jesus really, really is. It would have taken them uh, much, much longer to work it out, much, much longer to understand fully what was happening. But in that moment, they're realising that the man they're following has power over creation. And of course, when they land on the other side and Jesus goes to the man who's tormented, he's living among the dead, living in the graveyard. No one can control him. He's chained up. 
And Jesus speaks to him and frees him and tells the demons to leave him. Jesus has power over nature and he has power over the evil spirits and they have to obey him. And the disciples are beginning to understand who Jesus is, that he is from God, but not in the way that the prophets were sent from God, but he is more than that. And he is God himself, Lord over creation, which includes Lord over all the evil spirits and supernatural forces. That's what this section in Mark is about. That's what's happening here. Mark is saying that Jesus taught amazing stories about the kingdom and seeds and growth and harvest. But he's more than a teacher. These stories contrast with the the authoritative words of Jesus to now the authoritative deeds and power of Jesus over nature, over evil spirits, over all the supernatural forces. The disciples are now in the boat experiencing awe and fear, a good fear, a right fear of the power of the one who's standing in front of them. And they're experiencing peace and comfort because the storm has finished. Their lives are safe. And not only are their lives safe today, but what else will Jesus do with his power? How else will he bring comfort and peace and strength to them? The disciples are realising two things as they follow this Jesus. They're realising an awe and a fear of his power, but also a peace and a comfort and a strength that comes with him. Our lives should be like that. Our relationship with Jesus should be like that. When was the last time you were in awe of his majesty and greatness and splendor? When was the last time that you were thinking uh, about how powerful Jesus is, how amazing it is that he was there at creation? Scripture tells us this, that all things were made through him and yet you get to call him friend. You get to know his presence in your life. During worship today, you get to know his presence coming close to you. He's friend, he's alongside, he's the one who brings strength and love and peace and comfort. Awe and fear, yes. Peace, comfort, love, closeness, tenderness, yes. That's Jesus, that's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to follow him, to know him. His awe and his power but then knowing peace and comfort from that because there is no circumstance, no difficulty, no challenge, no hardship that we will face that Jesus can't break in and work. And if he isn't breaking in at the time that we want, he is still with us. He is still there in the boat with us. And that gives us peace and comfort because we're with Jesus, the one who is powerful over all things, over all powers. There is nothing, nothing that happens in the world that he doesn't see, that he isn't over, that he can't work through, that he can't rescue. There is no door that stays locked that he cannot open. There is no no chains that can bind us that he is unable to break. Jesus is the almighty, powerful one. He speaks and things change. And that should cause us to be in awe of him and to worship him and also to live with such peace with such comfort, 
that this king is Lord over my life, over your life, and we get to call him friend. But there's something else going on here in this passage, this story, these stories from Mark. My next question, my next why question, is why does Mark put the story here straight after the teaching? Uh, all the gospel writers are telling story about Jesus um, in their way. And they are including the stories. Uh, a lot of them include the same stories, but some of them put them in a different order or in a different section. Um, so when you look at this story in Luke, Luke just says, um, one day they got into the boat. Um, there is teaching uh, about the sower just before that, but Luke doesn't put it on the same day. This doesn't matter. It doesn't mean it didn't happen that way. It's just Luke is wanting to tell these stories to make a different sort of point. But Mark is putting it straight on the same day. He wants us to know it's the same day that Jesus did all the teaching about the seeds and the sower and the mustard seed that grows. Mark wants us to see something here. Why is he putting this straight afterwards on the same day that Jesus is teaching about seeds? Because this is telling us something about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the ultimate seed. Mark's teaching about the kingdom being like a seed, the smallest seed that goes into the ground, it dies and it grows in its death, it grows and brings forth fruit. Not all seed does, because as Mark says in one of the stories, it can get eaten by the birds or scorched by the sun. But the smallest of seeds can fall into the ground. And dying, it grows and produces a harvest or becomes a big tree that all the birds of the air come to. And then Mark immediately comes to talking about Jesus and his power over evil. Because Jesus is the ultimate seed. He will die and go into the ground. And God will raise him up to new life. And through his death and resurrection, through him falling to the ground and dying, there will be an almighty harvest and a rescue from evil. And their evil powers will be defeated. And you and I, through our faith in him, are rescued, set free from their hold over us. And we get to be restored in our relationship with God as our Father and brought into his family. That is the fruit of Jesus being the seed. Mark is saying, look, this one who has power over the storms, this one who speaks and evil spirits have to leave. He will defeat evil ultimately. He will defeat Satan ultimately by becoming a seed and falling, dying on the cross, being buried in the ground and the new resurrection life from God will raise him and there will be fruit. You and me and across all the nations, there will be a harvest because Satan's power is defeated and broken. As it says in John, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will remain but a single seed. But if it dies, it will grow and produce a harvest. And Jesus is talking about himself there. 
And Mark is using these stories to show that Jesus is the seed. He's the one that brings victory over evil into the world. That ultimately is how his kingdom comes. As he has taught in the parables, the kingdom of God is like a man sowing seeds. And so Mark is also saying the kingdom of God comes through this seed, Jesus, giving his life, falling into the ground and being raised again. And ultimately, we are called to follow him, follow him into the boat, go to the other side, make the power of Jesus known, bring healing, bring freedom, bring liberty to those who are being oppressed, to people you work with, to people in your family, to people where you live, showing love, kindness, goodness. They might not receive it, they might not be interested, but we too actually are to be seeds like Jesus. We're not going to be dying on a cross, but we are called to lay our lives down, to be those kingdom seeds through how we live, through our sacrifice in loving and caring for others and reaching out to others and giving testimony to the one who calms the storm, who has defeated Satan, who rules and reigns over everything, who is raised to life having died on the cross as we give testimony to him. There will be opposition, there will be difficulty, there will be challenges. But like Jesus, we're to be those who live like seeds, not counting our lives to keep. Think this is mine but giving it away in love and mercy and kindness to people around us. Because the kingdom of God comes through sowing seeds and our lives get to be seeds just as Jesus was. That's what's happening in this story. That's what Mark wants us to see. The awe and the majesty of Jesus, but the one who brings peace the one who brings comfort, because following him isn't always easy. Following him can take us to hard and difficult places or through difficult and challenging situations. We're not to let fear win or anxiety or worry win. We're to remember his words. We're going to the other side. He is with us. He will not leave us. And he is Lord over all of creation. And we can worship him and be grateful for him every single day because he was the ultimate seed who died, buried in the ground, so that we might live in his resurrection life. Hallelujah. Praise his name.